Like a roaring wave, it crashes down on us. With gentle arms, it won't let go. Recklessly, it chases after us, adoring, unabashed. Our spirits sit trapped in a cage of indifference, but it throws wide the door. Freedom grips us as the pursuit never wavers. Beckoning, calling, it ravishes to the bone and makes what was once dead alive again. Redeeming the unredeemable, shining light into the darkest abyss. Lurching and wild, tender and sweet, it knows no boundaries. With breathtaking abandon, it renews us. He renews us. Love himself holds us in a never-ending embrace, whispering, love always hopes and always perseveres. Well, hello, Heritage. Welcome. Man, I love when we get to gather as a family in the name of Jesus to worship. And whether that's here at Rock Island or out at Bentendor for QC West or even online, there's something special about gathering to worship God, to gather in His name and to worship Him. And this weekend is actually our second week in our Before Christmas series. This series is just a journey through Advent. Advent is a season of expectant waiting and preparation. It literally means coming. And it refers to that first Christmas that Jesus came and the waiting that preceded that, but it also refers to the waiting now until he returns again. That is the season of Advent. Now, it's kind of hard to believe that Christmas is just a few weeks away. Anybody here totally, utterly unprepared for that reality? Oh yeah, quite a few of you. Awesome. Listen, whether you're practically, tangibly ready for all of it, I hope that you have this growing sense of readiness to celebrate one of the most important events in all of human history, the birth of Jesus. You see, if he hadn't come before, and if he wasn't coming again, then there's no ability for us to live in the Christmas and Advent realities of hope and joy and peace and love. It's not possible. But because he did come, and he is coming again, we can. In fact, last week we took a few moments to talk about the reality of hope. The idea that getting our hopes up for something and having our hope in something are not the same thing. One of those is rooted in desire and circumstances. The other is based in him who is hope. Now, when we don't just simply have our hopes up for something but place our hopes in Jesus, we have a lasting hope. It's based in what should be, can be, and will be. And it brings with it love and joy and peace. In our Before Christmas series is walking us through those realities because the challenge in that is to live daily in that hope and love and joy and peace because we can. That's the opportunity that we have. Now, if you missed any of that, you can go to heritageqc.com and you can get caught up on the hope piece. But this weekend, I want to talk about love. I want to talk about love. In fact, it was the missionary and church planter Paul who wrote these words in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. He said, and these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Love. He's talking about the unconditional love of God, and he goes on to describe and say, you know, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. It never fails. And anything that does that is awesome. People the world over, 
every time this year at Christmas are moved by a glimpse at the love of God. Just moved by the glimpse at it. A desire for it, a desire to experience it. The challenge, though, is that we have to be a people who not just understand we are loved, but that we live in and out of that love. That, that, that people can experience that unconditional love through us. Being loved and living in love are not the same thing. And for us to live in that love that God has for us, we really need to understand what Paul describes in his letter to the church at Ephesus as the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's love. In fact, it's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now, there's a lot wrapped up in just those two verses, but I want you to think about it this way. That God's love explains why he did what he did and why he does what he does. See, it's the love of God that causes him to create a people to love. And because he loves those people, he seeks to care for those people. And out of that care for those people, he desired to come up with a solution to the problem of sin. And so he sent Jesus to live and die and rise again. But he wants a loving response to that, so he gives us the freedom to choose. And because his love lasts forever, we can receive eternal life. His love explains all of that. Now, love, the concept of love, is probably the most discussed, sung, written about, debated, described thing ever. People have this desire to experience love, but very few people know what this true, unconditional, deep love that God has for us really is. But at its core, at the core of love, is it's expressed in giving. In fact, one way to say it is that to love is to give. To love is to what? Now, you may say, really? That simple? Yeah, it really is. I mean, just think for a moment. We see this reality in one of the most well-known Christmas passages in Scripture. And it's not from Luke 2. It's actually from John chapter 3. And it's a passage many of us know. But it is a Christmas passage. It's John 3, verse 16, which goes like this. For God so loved the world that he, what? He gave. He so loved the world that he gave. His one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Our God so loved us that he gave. He sent Jesus. Jesus is a gift for us. In fact, that's some of the reason why gift giving is such a strong part of Christmas, that God loved and he gave. But again, the challenge is that, that being loved and living in that love are not the same thing. So I want to dig down a little bit more into what it really means to love as, as God loves us. Now, we spent some time looking at what it means to live loved in our Loved Linked Sense series a few weeks ago. And even though we talked about it then, there's more to glean from it. Because understanding the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and the love of God takes time. And, and His love is more like an infinite ocean, so we can go back to it again and again and again and draw upon it and never reach its limits. It's one of the reasons why Paul, in another part of Scripture, puts out this very clear challenge in, in 1 Corinthians 16, where he says, do everything in love. 
do everything in love. Now, I have done many things in love, some of them well. But to do everything in love, as Paul says, that seems unrealistic to me. It seems like it's beyond what I have to give. Yet, the Bible calls us to that kind of love, talks about it a lot, and Christmas is a key moment for it. But I think if we're honest and looking at our own lives, I think loving as God loves often seems beyond us. It's like a great idea, but not something we can actually do. Because we can love someone else, and we may even love a few people a lot. But to love unconditionally as God does, to do everything in love, that seems impossible. But what if it wasn't? What if there was not only a way to know how to love that way, but a way to understand why others fall short? What if it was more simple than we realized? Look, God calls us to love this way. He calls us to love with His love. And so I want to go back and I want to unpack, or perhaps in this season I should say unwrap, I want to unwrap the realities around what it looks like, what, what love is. In fact, uh, we often think of love in terms of affection, in terms of words or serving or physical intimacy. And, and the dictionary defines love this way. It says, a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person. It also describes it as a feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection as for a parent, child, or friend. Or thirdly, sexual passion or desire. Now, those are accurate and adequate definitions of love, but they don't get to the depth of the love of God expressed at Christmas. They're a bit superficial. They may be signs of love, but they're not inherently God's love. Because we can actually do these things without love. Maybe based on attraction, based on desire, based on uh, just pleasure. We can do these things and they cannot actually be love. Because there's a difference between being loved and living in that love, and what God calls us to is something more. In fact, consider this. The New Testament uses a couple different forms in, of Greek words to describe love, to define and describe love. In fact, the most commonly used word to describe love is agape. Say that with me. Agape. Now, agape love is a self-sacrificial, deep love. It's the kind of love that gives without expecting or demanding repayment. It's really that kind of love expressed in John 3, 16. It's, it's that same word. When God so agape, sacrificially and deeply loved the world that he gave. That's agape love. The second form of the Greek word or different Greek word for love is phileo. Say that with me. Phileo. Now, phileo is a, more of a brotherly love. It indicates an affection or affinity. And it can be incredibly sincere, but it's more superficial. Agape is an action and requires a choice. Phileo is a feeling and a fondness. So that's a bit of what love is, but I want to move to how. So if you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to 1 John. 
You can click in your device there or just turn your pages, or if not, you can use your sermon note guide or look on the screen. But we're heading into 1 John, and this is a passage where we went before, we talked about how we live loved. And, and one of the greatest things about God's Word, that it is so rich and so deep that we can go back to it again and again, and every time walk away with something new. And that's what I want to do today as we drill down just a little bit deeper into this concept of love. Now, we're going to be specifically in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 7, but I want you to understand this is another Christmas passage. <laughs> it's written by the disciple John, who's described as the one Jesus loved. He also wrote Revelation, 2nd and 3rd John, and the Gospel of John. But we're in 1 John chapter 4, which is towards the end of the Bible. It comes before Jude and Revelation, right after the 1st and 2nd Peters. You can find the 1, 2, 3 John. We're in 1 John chapter 4, and starting with verse 7. But before we do that, I want you to understand something. In 1 John in its entirety, John uses the Greek forms of love of some 43 times. But nearly 30 of them are in the verses we're looking at, from verse 7 to verse 21. So let's check this out. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now that right there, my friends, is Christmas in a nutshell. <laughs> that he loved us enough to send his son. That he loved us enough to let him be an atoning sacrifice for our sins so that we can know him. Now, I want to unpack these verses. There's so much in it. I just want to highlight a few key realities. I want to go back to verse 7 to do that. Let's look at verse 7 real quick. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Now, one of the things about the original Greek in this word that it very powerfully captures something much deeper than what's translated here in this English version, the NIV. In the original Greek, it's really using two forms of the word agape in the same sentence. It, it's literally more something like this. Those who are loved, let us love. Or beloved, let us love. And it is a powerful call for us to be a people who love because we are loved. Not to love so we earn love, but so we love in response to his love. And when we get that, we understand that his love is expressed through us as a people who are loved, then that begins to change everything. When we respond to his love, as a people loved, let us love. Now, have you ever heard somebody say, love is a decision? You ever heard that, heard that said or said it yourself? Okay. Uh, out, there's a statement that says, love is a decision. And I think somewhat that's true, but unconditional love is only possible after God makes it possible. It's, it's not inherently based in decision only. He's the one who empowers us to do it. So we can't just choose to do something we are inherently incapable of doing and think we can turn around and go do it, right? Like we can't sit here and go, hey, uh, I decide I want to be a person who can fly and then walk right out and go fly. Right, it doesn't work that way. Uh, I love to swim, but I can't say, hey, I'm going to swim the Atlantic Ocean and turn around and go do it. I can swim a little bit, but I can't swim that far. It's beyond me. And in the same way, our ability to love is not based in decision only, but in His love. We can love because He enables us to do so. And our love for God is always expressed in, res in a response to His love for us. We love because he first loved us. He initiates, we respond. He initiates, we respond. 
In fact, we can love because we are loved. You and I, we can love because we are loved. We never have to draw God to ourselves. He is always seeking to draw us to Him. And when we know that God loves us, then we're able to love Him in return. No matter who you are, where you're at in your journey, where you stand with God, all of us have this desire to experience unconditional love. But we can only love like Him because He, is, he already loves us in that way. The, the order is key. In fact, here, let's think about it this way. If you're following along your sermon guide, you see a block, so you know we're heading to the whiteboard. I got to tell you, this is major whiteboarding today. This is big stuff. So right on the side when we start, because you're going to need the other side in a moment. So here's the deal. Uh, we know that God, and I'm going to make this as a heart, God is love, because he, he, is. he is love. We know that. And because God is love, He loves us, right? Now, because He loves us, we can what? Oh, come on, come on. We can what? We can love Him, right? Because He loves us, we can love Him. But it doesn't stop there. So when we love Him, then we're positioned to actually love who? We're to position to love others. And in that moment, then those individuals are, are positioned to recognize more fully that God loves them. Then they can in turn love Him and be positioned to love us and others. This is God's design for life and love and relationship. That when we know Him, we will love Him. When we love Him, we will love others. If we don't love others, we don't really love Him. It's pretty clear, pretty straightforward. Now, we may get this, but sometimes we get sideways because we get the order out of sequence. Here's what I mean. We say, okay, I've got a choice. I, I need to make a choice, make a decision, and that choice is going to position me with the ability to love. And, and that love will be a, a, an unconditional love and an unlimited love. That if we choose, make the choice, make a decision that gives us the ability to then love. And many of us function as if that's the case. Well, I just need to decide to love in light of the fact that God does love, and then I'll have the ability to do that. And that's not exactly how it works, because this is an uncertain love. That there's a circumstantial reality to this. And it's ultimately dependent upon who? It's dependent upon us. This is not how we live as God, or love as God loves. Let's move to this reality. When we come out of who God is, His ability, and we position His ability ahead of our choice, then that leads to the place that we can love. And it's the kind of love that is unconditional and unlimited. When we position our choice under His ability, that positions us to love fully. Now you're sitting there going, okay, Seems like you're splitting hairs a little bit, Sean. Come on, seriously. Look, we can depend on us. We can depend on him. We could also depend on others. And I got to tell you, if your love is depending on what other people do, hang on, you're in for a circus ride. But when we position ourselves to depend on his ability and depending on him, position our choice after that, everything begins to change. Let me show you how. The deal is, when we're talking about ability, we're talking about power. And when we talk about choice, we're talking about authority. And when we position our authority under his power and his ability, then he positions us to love as he loves. We have free will. 
When we submit that authority to him under his ability, he empowers us to love the way he calls us to love. That's the way it's supposed to work. It gets sideways when we invert it. When we position his power under our authority. When we depend more on us. And we say that our choice leads to some kind of ability that leads us to love, but in reality it is his power at work in us that positions us to make a choice to let him work through us so that we can love the way he loves. We're really talking about an issue of power and authority. You know, when we believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and love others, those aren't conditions of receiving his love, but they are the evidence of his, evidences of his love that he has power and authority in our lives to make it possible. And we don't simply acquire ability by choice. God gives us the ability by his power at work in us, and we need to choose to live out of that, to do everything in love. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 4 for a moment, starting at verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Again, Christmas, Christmas in a nutshell. Continuing on into verse 15. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. To know and rely on the love God has for us. Placing choice first is cart ahead of horse because it creates expectation without ability. And it keeps his power under our authority as opposed to his power over our authority. And we end up choosing, when we lead with choosing, we end up missing that, that wide and long and high and deep love of God. We can't get there. And so what we end up doing is we end up manufacturing it or something that looks like it, some, some form of love. We muster energy and emotion that looks similar to it out of sheer willpower and determination because we've chosen to do it. Now we're going to force the ability to come out in this willpower thing. We even choose to give things that reflect it to fill the gaps. We give affection. We give gifts. We serve others. We, we even give sex to fill those gaps. But it never reaches the level of true unconditional love. We'll never achieve that love without his ability, without his power being the source. It'll be a close but not quite, and it'll always be subject to circumstances of life and the feelings in the moment. And we'll treat it as optional, not doing everything in love. And at best, we reach a level of maintaining a behavior. But that, that true unconditional love is not possible without God. Close, but not quite. It may look like it, smell like it, but it won't actually be it. It's not possible without God. When we start with his ability first, his power first, then that front loads that power and positions us to release authority to him. Then we can love as he loves, empowered by him to do so. Because we can choose to love out of his ability. Now, we don't always do that. We don't always do that, but we can. And that can lead us to be able to do everything in love. No matter what circumstances you face, no matter what hardship is in front of you, no matter what anybody else has done to you. 
through his power at work in us. Now, I know that seems like a tall order, but when we understand that he makes love possible, that, that he completes it in us as we live in relationship to him under his authority, his power, we submit our authority to his authority in his power, then we realize it's more simple than we thought. Doing everything in love depends on him, not us. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that every display of love in the world has to come from a Christian. I'm not saying that. Anyone can perform acts of love. We're all created in the image of God. And although that image may be marred by sin, we still have the capacity to love. But, but that love, that, that human love, albeit noble and even done with the best intentions, falls short of unconditional love. And when we fail to keep the love of God as the source and the focus, it's much more apparent. So, I think the question I want to ask is this. What's limiting the love of God in your life? What's limiting the love of God in your life? Is it a self-focus? You're, just, it's, you're, you're the one that's trying to facilitate something. Maybe you're trying to put his ability behind your choice. It's an issue with that whole power and authority design. You're, you're trying to keep your authority ahead of his power. Maybe it's just doubt. You just, maybe you just don't believe he loves you like he does. What's limiting the love of God in your life? It's important to figure that out. Because when we submit our authority to his power, then that love of God, that unconditional, deep, wide, high, long love that protects, trusts, perseveres, and hopes, we can experience it for ourselves and we can express it through our lives. What's limiting that love? In fact, with that question in mind, let's move to the so what, now what? What do, what do we do with the realities that we're talking about at this point? Well, I, I don't know about you, but I believe that one of the greatest inventions of all time is the gift bag. It is so easy and simple to use. It has saved many a gift getter, giver or wrapper of challenges, and it works beautifully all the time, works wonders, and I believe it is the ideal gift-giving medium. Can I get an Amen. Amen, yes, amen. Shed a tear on that one. Listen, here's the deal. Christmas is a season of gift giving, right? But the greatest gift is the love of God expressed in Jesus Christ. And so there's three things I want to encourage all of us to do as we continue in the Advent season. Three things to do with the gift. The first is to accept the gift. First thing is to accept the gift. Receive the gift of God's love. Be born of God, as Paul describes, or as he describes in verse 15, he says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. You and I have an opportunity to fully experience and receive and embrace the love of God. That love that knows no end. That love that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Today can be the day, if you've never done this, that you can actually receive the love of God fully and move from spiritual death to spiritual life. You can surrender to Jesus Christ, find forgiveness for your sins, receive the gift of eternal life, and then begin to walk in relationship to God. That's what happens when we receive, accept the gift. You know, it's one thing to experience God's love, to know God's love when we feel it. It's a totally different thing to believe God's love when we don't. 
And if you've never experienced it fully, I challenge you to accept the gift so you can. So you can. Accept the gift. Second thing I want us to do in relationship to the gift is to actually open it. <laughs> open it. Does anybody here at any of our campuses have a gift at home you just didn't open? Uh-uh, I don't think so. We want to open those bad boys. We want to open it up, see what it is, experience it, use it. We want to get in there and open it. And so receiving a gift is only half of the process. We actually need to open it. Look what Paul says in verse 16. He says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Do you know and rely on the love of God? That's opening it. That relying on it, knowing it, that's, that's opening it. That's experiencing all that it is. If we just receive it and we don't actually lean into it, we don't accept that we are loved, we continue to struggle in areas of unworthiness and trying to earn our value and trying to prove that he, we're worthy of his love. I mean, that's, no, receive it, open it, and just sit in it. Sit in the reality that we are loved. Know and rely on his love. That's important. The third thing, we're going to accept it, we're going to, we're going to open it. The third thing is probably my favorite thing. It's the most fun thing. Regift it. Regift the gift. Yes, I did. I said regifting, and I'm bringing it to you as, a, as biblical roots, man. This is, a, this is rooted in biblical truth. Regift the gift. Look, the gift bag is the ideal regifting medium. Yes? Because there's only two things you need to do, right? Two things. One, you need to make sure that it is holiday appropriate. No birthday bags on Christmas. All right? The second thing is you just need to check the tag, people. Make sure there's no, nobody else's name on that, right? Ideal regifting medium. And look, Christmas, the gift is the love of God expressed through Jesus Christ. We need to receive it, but then we need to regift it. Not as an unwanted gift, but as a gift we're compelled to give. Compelled to give. Look back at verses 11 and 12 with me. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. His love is made complete in us. Accept the gift, open the gift, and re-gift it. it look, if we accept and receive, but we don't give it, we don't re-gift it, his love is not complete in us. It's not just something to be received for us so that we experience it. We're good to go. We're supposed to turn around and give it. We're supposed to love others. And when we don't, his love is not complete in us. The proper way to love God in response to his love is to go out and love one another. That's why Jesus said that they will know that we are his disciples by our what? Our love. It's our love. So I wonder where you can share the love of God with somebody else this Christmas. I want to caution you in one thing about that, though. To love someone, loving others is not just doing what they desire. I love my kids, love my kids deeply, but I do what is best for them, not just what they want. And for us to love others like God loves is about being and doing what is best for their good even if it means sacrifice, even if it means pain in our world. That's what Jesus did, right? Suffered on a cross. And so as you approach Christmas, as you continue in the Advent season, where can you love with the love of God this week? Where can you show compassion? Where can you show kindness? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to show mercy to? 
Where do you need to speak the truth in love and, and release a grudge and provide what is most needed, not just what is desired? You know, Christmas all boils down to a God who loves, who sent a Savior and then sends us to love our neighbor, meeting the needs around us. That love is the greatest evidence of God's love in our life when we love someone else. It's the greatest evidence of the presence of his work in our lives. When we have indifference towards somebody else, that's the greatest evidence that we lack love. If we love him, we will love others. If we know him, we will love him. But that love is not based on our ability, it's based in him. And indifference is the mark of missing out on that love, being lacking a love. In fact, Paul, Paul goes on to say in verses 20 and 21, he says this, Whoever claims to, to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. That's some pretty hard truth, but it's true. Regift the gift. Go be love. Take steps to love others. It's the greatest regifting opportunity ever. So accept it, open it, regift it. We can't manufacture agape love. Can't do it. We love because he first loved us. Verse 19 reminds us of that. But because he loves us, we can love others. No matter what you're facing, no matter who that person is, it's not, it's not contingent upon what they do and what they don't do. It's based on who he is. As we receive his love, as we rely on his love, and as we regift his love. When we do that, we can begin to see him change the world around us, change the people around us. Can you imagine what God can do if we as a church, all, all of us, do everything in love, that as we receive his love, we open it, we, we rely on it, we know it, and we express it back, we regift it to other people? Can you imagine what he would do to change these communities? All we have to do is be obedient in it because it is his power at work through us as we submit our authority to him. It's not us manufacturing it. How will you love this Advent season? How will you love this Christmas 2014? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name. I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Father, may we not only receive it, and I pray for those here today that, that have not yet taken that step, that they would release their authority to you and receive the new life that comes from Jesus. But not only may we receive it, may we fully open it. May we, may we sit down into the depth and the width and the height and the length of your love and understand it at, at deeper and deeper levels, more comprehensively. But may we also turn around and share it. May we re-gift it. Father, may you be able to not only bring glory to yourself, but love others through us. And I pray that you would help us to recognize the opportunities, the people around us, that you've positioned around us where we can actually go and be love, whereby your power at work through us, we can choose to demonstrate that love that you have for us to them, and you receive the glory for it. As a people loved, we can love. And I pray that you would set us free from struggles with unworthiness, struggle with trying to prove that we deserve that love or we can earn it, but we can just actually sit in it and know that we are loved and out of that do everything in love. Not just so that cool things can happen around us and through us, but that so you are glorified. Thank you for entrusting us with that. Thank you for inviting us into that process. 
And may you be glorified and honored in all we sit and do. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.